Space Jam 2 sucks. What a surprise. Let's get right into that. But until we do, uh, my name's Ian. Who's here with me? Hi. I am the Philan James Monsieur Sam. I'm Scott. And this is the inciting moment. New releases. Quite a few. Uh, not all of them have been viewed, but the ones that we felt obligated to, given our previous endeavors with uh, film, naturally we just figured we should put our two cents in there uh first and foremost by far the one that uh most of us here went in with very low expectations for space jam 2 a new legacy well i'm i'm, I'm very happy to say that it met all my expectations <laughs> would you say the same scott because i'm on the same boat it dragged my expectations through the dirt Okay, okay, I'll, I'll come out swinging on this one. I don't think it was that bad. It was bad, sure, but it wasn't like trash fire bad. It was more of a... Right. They they gave it a, a shot, not their best shot. They gave it a shot, and mm -hmm. something was made out of it, and that's, and that's okay. How much of it will be timeless? I mean... Some of it's more obvious as to what will be just completely dated later on, and other times it's just... I, it's a Space Jam sequel. Um, I mean, I'm on the same boat. I am. Uh, I went into it with low expectations, and by the end of it, I'm just thinking, I mean, it's bad, but by my standards, it's just kind of okay. I, I, I don't hate it. I'm not thinking it completely ruins the first one because first off in many cases it almost feels like it just completely skims over the first one why it's called space jam as well uh beats me because there ain't no space and uh the soundtrack that's for the movie is not much of a jam no it really isn't and i think the greatest sin this movie commits is just being okay do we really need it? Probably not. No, it didn't really. Yeah. It's not. It was something that wasn't really needed. Space Jam never really called out for a sequel. Space Jam. I mean, basically, they kind of caught like a lightning in a bottle. Mm-hmm. And even that, I mean, it was just the right time, I guess. Right time, right place. It's still. Yeah, the, let's I also like be fair about something. Uh, did Did we also really need the first one? For that matter, and I'm not trying to dog on that, but that one just kind of happened as like a, when you really look at it, uh, like a marketing thing, because that movie came out right as uh, Michael Jordan was coming out of his break from uh, basketball, and naturally they're like, oh, we gotta get on that shit, we gotta have something with them. Michael and... Jordan balling. Yes. Many, many times of balling. <laughs> But no, I mean, I like the first one. I think it has its place in time and space. The second one, oh, I yes, think, will be does. forgotten. Uh, but yeah, honestly, it was it was it was just meh. You know, I mean, some. I mean, I'm not gonna harp on all the actors. They were bad. They they gave they gave a fair enough a uh, you know fair enough. Uh, oh my god, I can't think of the word. They gave it the try. They gave, they tried. That's what counts. Okay. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I, I mean, I, take it as you will. It was okay. Right. And I mean, if I can give one thing for it, I thought uh, the main protagonist was a better actor. <laughs> hmm. I suppose. Cause... Yeah, Don Cheadle. Oh, totally. Totally. He's the, the hero Meister. in this situation. He always is. 
hero in my heart. Uh, Don Cheadle was solid, uh, and easily the, the one thing I remember the most about it. Um, but uh, LeBron did an okay job, given that he has no acting experience, aside from, I think, some comedy he was in not that long ago, but... Is that really calling for quality at that point? As quickly as people are going to forget about this movie, we should move on to the next topic. Because I'll be honest, I, I think I, it's not the best criticism ever, but it's just it's just okay. I mean, what what more can you really say aside from the fact that it, it's just kind of a soulless cash grab? Which I, I I know that's very redundant with nowadays, but uh, amongst all these just like dumb fun. Uh, big budget um, slobber knockers coming out, whether that be Kong versus Zilla, uh, Fast 9, which came out not that long ago. It, it's just, this one comes along, and it could have easily been like that. Kind of like the original. Um, but it just, it isn't. It's so plain and ordinary. Look, Space Jam didn't need a sequel. It didn't need another part to it. Mm -hmm. But... Something that did, and did get one, and was an improvement, is the sequel to Suicide Squad. The Suicide Squad. I think I speak for everyone when I say, um, go watch it. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I'll be honest. I, I, I've heard some people say, go, hey, go in Suicide Squad with no expectations, it'll be great. But I went in with expectations of it being at least pretty good, and... It kind of blew my expectations out of the water. It's just, compared to the original Suicide Squad, it's just blazingly, amazingly, just so competent compared to the first Suicide Squad. <laughs> yeah. On almost every single level. It's consistent, for the most part. Inconsistently crazy, sure, but it's consistent. It's made yeah. well. It's finely crafted in comparison to the first one. Um, just everything's better. The camaraderie between the characters, the setup, the, the music especially. I really dug the music. I thought it was way better fitting in this than it was in the original. And it, I actually want the soundtrack. Not saying the first one had bad songs. I just don't think it was used well. No, and I mean uh, a lot of things that you can uh, give some kudos points to in The Suicide Squad is the exact opposite of what you would say about the first attempt at a Suicide Squad film. Because there was no sense of camaraderie, and when it was there, it felt very forced and out of left field because none of the characters were actually developed all that well, or really created a sense of friendship between each other. In this one, I mean, they're all insane criminals, and yet they feel like a tighter unit by the end of it. Uh, mm -hmm. And yeah, the soundtrack doesn't sound like something that would be playing in the back of a Hot Topic, so that's, that's always a... Uh, a plus. Every time I go to Hot Topic, I fear that the Joker is back there waiting to show me his toys. <laughs> no, that's that's Spencer's. I want to show lingerie. you my toys. Oh god! Do you really that's, think Jared Leto Joker would show up in a Spencer's? He's more of a Hot Topic guy. Yeah, no, hey, he's not fun enough. He for might Spencer's. switch between the two. He he might be a Hot Topic Spencer's. Switch. Oh right, um, Jared Leto Morbius of Spencer's. I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, let's well, there we go, yeah. Okay, I'll be um, real for Jelly. I forgot the Jared Little lore. You ready for the, the hot takes? Mm. This just may be the best thing DC's ever put out. Movie-wise. Yeah. 
I mean, I, I can see that. Hot take, honestly. Mm-hmm. This is uh, Shazam's my second favorite DC film, right below Suicide Squad. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it, I, I I can somewhat agree uh, because Suicide Squad is just the most consistently on top of things when it comes to introducing characters and all that. I mean, you have a whole slew of characters that are literally just introduced to uh, uh, spoilers die within the first few minutes of the movie, which who that is, we'll, we'll keep that a little secret because it's... It's absurd how much happens within uh, that little of time, um, which is neat because uh, one of the things I had an issue with in the first one was that a lot of the characters felt invincible, even though they were going up with a threat that is so far out of their league. And first off, uh, let me get to something else on what's just infinitely better in this movie. The mission that they have in the Suicide Squad is much more appropriate for this group of characters. Because, I, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, that the last movie has uh, Harley Quinn with a baseball bat going up against all these like supernatural zombie creatures spawned by some witch and warlock. And one of the two straight up just looks like a carbon copy of uh, Whedon Cut Steppenwolf. Mother yeah, box. thankfully there's no mother complex. It's it's a little bit of a uh, odd brother and sister dynamic, and uh, that 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 was also a little weird. They love each other. <laughs> <laughs> Look, bro, it's not cool. Okay. One thing I can knock this particular film for, though, there are plenty of moments, however, outside of the beginning half, because the beginning half I find it to be justifiable, because um, that group is supposed to be like a diversion while the real team actually goes in behind enemy lines. There's a handful of times where characters are killed off almost entirely for a joke, and I just didn't think it was all that funny. Uh, I've seen it before in previous James Gunn films, and I, I just don't get why he keeps doing it. I just, eh. It's just like, oh, okay, well, there goes all that buildup you had on that character. <laughs> And granted, you can make the the claim that, oh, well, that character was just, you know, a, a D-tier member of the team. I, I don't know, because the whole point of the movie is that the, the group kind of comes together and finds a way to actually be effective in it, even the ones that you wouldn't expect to. So to just do that, that almost seems to contradict what you're doing. That, and I mean, uh, if I can... Also be a little honest about something, even though they were two of the most interesting members of the group. <sighs> Especially with one of them, because he was a bit of a highlight. Uh, King Shark and Polka Dot Man, I'm sorry, if you remove them, nothing changes about the story. Nothing changes. And I mean, on one hand, I'm okay with that, because in the case of uh, King Shark especially, I liked him being there. They, they, they bring an interesting dynamic to the group, and maybe that's what still justifies them being there, but, I mean, they, they, they do so little in the long run that if you do remove them, it's just, what, what do you actually lose? I kind of agree with you with the Polka Dot Man. With the King Shark, I think he's a useful tool to show a little more camaraderie and how they're getting closer to each other. I think the Polka Dot Man is basically just a setup for a long joke, essentially. And I think that's really just his entire purpose. Uh, I still liked his inclusion. 
I mean, it's it's always fun when they add these in like D tier. No one knows about them. Crazy villains like Condiment King and Polka Dot Man. I do agree. You know, some of the deaths are kind of needless, but at the same time, it's at least it's consistent. I, if we're, I'm, I'm sorry if I veer a little off, but my favorite character was Peacemaker. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna do a, a, a brief positive things. All the actors. Knocked the, f- they they did it perfectly. Essentially, they knocked it out of the parks for what the characters, at least you know they did they did good character work. Um, mm-hmm. John Cena was actually really good. <laughs> um, he 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 played. I I don't know what else to say. I mean, it, it's a simple character, sure, but I don't know what to say. It was just He's, good. He straight up stole his costume from the set and wears it around. <laughs> Yeah, oh all God, the press so stuff, yoked. I guess the costume isn't that cumbersome to be in, so he just walks around in it for a bunch he's, of the press. He's so yoked. Oh, yeah. I know it's a bit of a tangent, but goddamn, is he built like a Greek god. But uh, uh, one thing, him, another, yes. the action is really good in this movie. Yes. It really <laughs> is. They show you everything. And even with the CGI parts, even with the CGI parts, I felt like the CGI was, you know, realistic enough with my suspension of disbelief and everything going so far like when they whenever king shark got hit they felt it you know they did a really good job of giving everything a physical presence king shark also actually felt like he was there amongst the other characters Mm -hmm. as well which is always important when you're trying to implement an entirely digital character um so that definitely worked out now i have a question for you fellas we uh we, we 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 know a little bit about of uh our DC lore, right? Yes. How did you guys feel about the portrayal of uh, the Conqueror himself, uh, Starro? I loved it. Yeah, he's... <laughs> I mean, in a, I mean, if you look at the squad, look at how silly they are in general. I mean, they had had equally just kind of silly villain. And, and Starro Star versus the Conqueror... Or Suicide Squad versus Starro, the Conqueror Worlds. It's just... It's the perfect fit, really. And it's better than oh hey giant glowing beam at the end kind of sit you know you know situation going on. Oh, and here's this giant armored demigod that's gonna punch you a couple times. It's great that they portrayed him the way he is, like because you know he's a silly villain, but it fits the movie. Mm-hmm. Because the other thing is that this movie is very violent. <laughs> I yeah, I, I loved how they took it up a notch and just went the whole yard with how violent and graphic and just gory and just mean spirited the movie is, which kind of oh, yeah. contradicts a little bit with the ending and then you know spoiler alert, saving the city, but at the same time it's it's I, I, it was rock solid, it it was very contained. Yeah, I don't think it ever got too tasteless either because it was still. For the sake of absurdity, you know? Because mm-hmm. there's a lot of talk about, oh yeah, you know, these glorify violence. But you also have to remember that when it's being so bombastic and silly with its violence, at that point, I, I <laughs> how do you not separate that from reality, you know? I mean, it's the same stuff with, like, Tarantino films. It's on that same level of just so absurd. It's just, how can you be mad at it? Yeah, overall, highly, highly recommend it. Same here. I recommend everybody watch uh, The Suicide Squad. Whether or not you want to see it in theaters, I don't know. 
I don't know if I'd say it's a must-see. I say so. There's not a lot of great things out in theaters. Go back, no, give some theaters true. some money, build those fuckers back up, and might as well start with The Suicide Squad. That's true. That's true. Which is also available on HBO Max if you're a little hesitant to go out to the theater. But, eh, I don't know. It's up to you to decide. I, yeah. What about you, Scott? What do you have to think? Oh, absolutely. Go watch it. I'm going to watch it again. Yeah, I might watch it again. It's just, it's just, it's, it's, I guess the highest praise I can give it is the fact that despite the crazy situation, the absolute absurdity of the movie, the characters are grounded enough and realistic enough with each other, you can suspend your disbelief for how crazy it is. And I think that's a pretty damn good compliment, especially coming from yeah. a fucking DC Because sometimes <laughs> I, I think that there's something to gain from developing these like d tier uh nobody villains and making them fleshed out characters uh compared to making another batman movie you know which i mean we're <laughs> we're gonna be getting that sometime soon however that turns out i don't know it seems different enough but it's another batman movie yeah, ain't that fucking crazy though that throughout the dc universe a uh, dc uh movie universes all the movies they come out with so far, the most likable people are the horrid fucking villains. <laughs> yeah. Well, with the success of the Suicide Squad, you, you gotta wonder uh, how how miffed uh, David Ayer is, considering how his rendition of Suicide Squad turned out. Uh, and this, of course, brings us to a little bit of an elephant in the room. Uh, the success of the Snyder Cut has kind of led to another part two of a similar movement, which is hashtag release the air cut. That being the unaltered, unabridged version of, uh, Suicide Squad from all those years back. I think if I had to put my two cents into it, this, this is where movements like this are getting a little out of hand. Just a little bit. Just, I just, just a little bit. I just don't care. I, yeah, because the, the the thing about um, the thing about the Snyder Cut was that we had little glimpses, right? Either in trailers or from like press photos that uh, Zack Snyder himself took of uh, his uh, original production of Justice League. And there were little, little glimmers of hope that we were going to get, like, a foundation for a story that would actually be decently uh, realized. And given that uh, most of us here, with the exception of James, um, enjoyed the Snyder Cut, which is his unadulterated vision, it's easy to say that the foundation for that film was a little more solid, a little messy, but a lot more solid than the Suicide Squad. And whatever A uh, the original. Yeah, because the, the thing is, is that the Suicide Squad, similar boat. It was heavily, heavily edited. I can't remember if they did as many reshoots, because that was one of the big things that they spent a lot of time and money on with the Whedon cut, and that completely changed like the tone of the story. This, however, I believe is mainly editing based which first and foremost uh they made a rather strange decision to have a studio mainly 
experienced in editing trailers and music videos edit a feature film that is part of your multi-million dollar superhero franchise? Why? I have no clue, but looking at it, it was not because of a creative decision. It was more than likely for cheaping out, because uh, it, it feels very cheaply put together in terms of the editing. It's it's not... Mm. Nah, I get you. But here's here's the biggest difference between these situations is, for the Justice League, there was nothing... There was no other Justice League after that. It was either the Justice League, from the original cut to the theoretical, or nothing. And that's why they craved so much for the Snyder cut. For this, there's already a better Suicide Squad out now. You know, I mean, there's no need for the Ayer cut, even though it might be a little bit better than the original shirt. But we have the Suicide Squad now. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, and I mean that it, it's a little bit of a, a, a two-sided thought process for me because on one hand, I'm like, I, the foundation of Suicide Squad just is not solid. So having a re-released, unedited version, I just question whether or not we need it. But then on the other hand, I'm like, well. We only know so much about uh, how much was, you know, butchered in in post uh, from what has been revealed, and that may not be the full story. And it sucks that if David Ayer actually had a lot more that made the original Suicide Squad a little bit more realized, then that sucks that his vision was just completely trampled on. And I could also see why he may be a little more upfront on wanting to have a quote-unquote air cut come out because now dc is being so lenient on filmmakers now with their movies because they're like okay you know what go do your thing and just make a movie you know i mean obviously we, we want to make sure that it's not uh too bizarre or too dark or too you know fragmented and messy but with what they've been doing, they've been able to have movies like Shazam be its own thing, Aquaman be its own thing, and most recently, The Suicide Squad be its own thing, because they realize, you know, if we just let the directors and the filmmakers and all these other people do their thing while just having a loose idea of where we want the franchise to go, that's fine, and it's been working out so far. So maybe on one hand, I can see why perhaps it is fair that he gets an air cut. Whether I care to see it? No. I, uh, I don't. I don't. I, I do not think that the Suicide Squad, the original one, I should just call it Suicide Squad. What was that, like 2017, 2016? I think so. But mm -hmm. the original one. I, I have no plans on actually watching the air cut unless I hear there is so much different that actually adds more to an actual story maybe but frankly Suicide Squad was just very disposable and not very enjoyable why watch the air cut when you can just watch the Suicide Squad <laughs> <laughs> a, a movie that just does a better job with the concept of here's a ragtag group of thugs and insane people trying to fight a giant starfish. It's great. It's perfect. I love it. It's perfect. <laughs> Still better than glowy beam in the sky. Yeah. Yeah. The more that we stray away from that, the better. Mm-hmm. 
I think it's about time we segue into our main event. 1995 classic cyberpunk anime, Ghost in the Shell. But of course. Now, Sammy boy, uh, I'm going to need you to do the honors. Uh, Give us a short little synopsis of what the film is about and why, of all movies, you picked this one. Okay. So the quick synopsis, just general overview, it's, you know, far in the future, standard, kind of almost like standard what we see now in cyberpunk dystopia, Mm -hmm. where it's... I'm not going to say post-apocalyptic because I don't think that describes it well enough, you know. But it's that standard dystopia, futuristic setting where it's, you know, very uh, Neo-Tokyo, just, you know, cyberpunk. We all know cyberpunk by now, for better or for Mm -hmm. worse. But the general story (laughs) is there's these nine sections of government, and the ninth one is primarily focused on cybernetics. And there's this hacker going around hacking people's ghost which is basically another name they use for consciousness because everyone's connected to this thing called the net kind of matrix style in fact this Mm -hmm. movie was a big uh, influence on the matrix yeah and And so this is there's this terror not terrorist but criminal going around called the puppet masters hacking into other people for an unknown purpose which we will probably go into later and Mm -hmm. it's up to the main character uh major uh, makoto kusanagi who is part of section nine part of the cyber division who's fully augmented along with their partner uh oh my god batao and to stop this mm-hmm. threat and that's the quick synopsis of the movie and the reason i picked it because a couple weeks back i watched it and i'm sorry man but modern anime can go fuck itself uh, it can it can and this is the reason why <laughs> mm-hmm. there is something about like late 80s to just all 90s anime that's just fucking they just rocked. They knocked it out of the park, man. It's, it's, I mean, I don't know what else to say. It's just, okay, go ahead. Cause I'm just going to gush if I keep going. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. You, you, you want to talk about, uh, uh, master classes in Japanese animation. Uh, this, this is one of the, uh, big ones. Um, now, granted, Akira is often looked at as, like, a big influence on Japanese animation getting bigger um, attention in North America and just overseas in general, internationally. Um, Ghost in the Shell definitely helped in propelling that because it is a fascinating narrative. It really is. And it, it's interesting because Ghost in the Shell, the movie is i believe the second time that the concept of the franchise was sort of reimagined because ghost in the shell has this weird thing where every so often they have a different interpretation of the same concept and story uh like for example you have the manga series which has its own differences from the movie then you got the movie uh, and then you have the anime series Standalone Complex, which, once again, is more episodic, but also has a different format in how it tells its story. And um, I haven't exactly seen something like that done for uh, a anime narrative multiple times in different ways, aside from a uh, little small independent franchise called um, 
Mobile Suit Gundam. Which, by the way, one day. One we'll day. We'll talk about that. One day. <laughs> um, but for now, Ghost in the Shell, 1995. The heyday of uh, anime. Which I think we're all in agreement is the case, because uh, if we can start anywhere... Oh, this movie's drop-dead gorgeous. Let's I mean, brass tacks here. It's it's just good. It's so fluid, so natural-looking. Yet, it had, it's it has such a unique style to it, too. It's just... I know it's not the whole... You know, the whole movie... You know, all movies ain't just about how it looks like, but... Damn, if it was. Uh, yeah, and if you were to ask me what are the big benefits to watching, you know cell animated um anime versus digitally animated stuff that we get nowadays texture mm -hmm. movies like this have so much texture not just in the character illustrations but especially in the backgrounds and i feel as time went on backgrounds felt less and less textured um they feel so organic even though we are in a landscape that is very technologically um, dependent in a way, you know? Which is interesting because we go from different areas that aren't just Tokyo-focused. Uh, There's actually a lot of um, locales that have a bit of a tinge of Hong Kong in there, which I think is interesting and kind of a uh, thing that Blade Runner popularized, where uh, futuristic cities are almost like an amalgamation of multiple different countries and cultures and stuff like that, because of how often people are just mingling in these giant, you know, landscapes and all that, and it's just great to see a lot of this stuff. Mm -hmm. Scott, your thoughts? I'm going to be hated for this. <laughs> oh. Okay. Well, I hope you're I, was, I did not like it. <laughs> Okay, so why are you wrong? Like I mean, uh, continue. No, I wasn't a fan of the movie. I thought it was okay. Okay, I mean, what, what oh. didn't you like about it? I thought there were a lot of scenes that were really drawn out. Yeah, if we could go into one thing, uh, very similar to the film I just referenced, Blade Runner, um, it is a bit of a slow burn sometimes. <laughs> It's it's very slow, but in the defense of Ghost in the Shell, I think it has to be. I mean, there's a lot to set up. Yeah, there, 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 there's a lot to unpack, and I think the further we go into this, the more in detail we'll go. But it is a very existential movie, mm -hmm. and you have a lot of characters kind of questioning that, especially Matoko, feeling a little off about that, wanting to know more, and just understand herself. Um, because obviously the whole thing is about how, uh, it's not just the physical technology that's advanced, it's also the digital age that has advanced. Uh, there is a vast net of info that is being transferred, not just from computers, but literal people, because cybernetics have become such a huge focus in, in, in this version of the future that all these net-based crimes are happening especially in the case of the puppet master which is basically his whole thing he essentially possesses the ghosts the consciousness the quote-unquote uh soul of these cyborgs and uses them to uh grow 
which we'll get into more as we unpack this multi-layered fucking ice cream cake of a movie. I mean, yeah, the, the strongest point about this movie is how, for its time at least, and of course nothing is truly original, but it's, it's, I love how unique it is. It's, it's such a grand idea in general, this idea of existence while this thing called the net is a thing. Throws off this whole idea of what is an afterlife? What is existing? What does it mean to be alive and thinking? Very similar to uh, Blade Runner, if I really hope we discuss one of these days. Cause it's, oh, we that's will. Also, we will. Um, it's just, it's a high, it's a lot of high concepts but brought down to earth with just good characters. Really just the world building through the, just the visuals is just so good. It's, it's kind of like, it's very similar to Suicide Squad where it's the crazy idea, but the way they go about it makes it feel real enough as to which it's accepted. Yeah. And granted, I mean, it's also with that world building that, Mm -hmm. uh, you got to find some way to get it across to the, the, the audience. And I think perhaps it's that slow burn and that very methodical revealing of all this uh important information that maybe that's where scott was feeling a little off because of the pacing because it it drags here and there but honestly i think a lot of it uh, what helps get through it is how interesting you find the topics that they're covering because like i said it's a very existential movie and i think the big theme is uh the idea of how much of yourself do you lose before you're no longer human? And if you are entirely artificial and you were not, you know, organically born like any other human is, uh, at what point do you become human if you are introspective enough? If you have your own set of beliefs, personality, and in the big case, uh, memories. Uh, Memories are often a big focus in this movie similar to blade runner by the way because blade runner in that replicants uh what 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 makes them so human-like um and slightly less imperfect is that they have fake memories from when they were children even though they're not real because that helps um establish what their actual personality is to make them feel a little more individual and uh easily in in this film uh similar concept and what they're diving into but equally as interesting huh I, I mean that's that's really all i can say right now before we really like cut this <laughs> this whole thing apart and like dissect it it's going to be like an open heart surgery with this kind of shit there are definitely some uh slow parts but i i mm. think it's just, I think it still uses it well enough to build up how the characters feel and just the world itself. And I, I, I you know, it, it, and the action, in my opinion, more than makes up for it, because the action is so fucking cool. Uh, it, it is. It really is. <laughs> it's just so good. It was a little bit of a disservice to this movie when the live action film just recreated a lot of those action scenes. I mean, they're so good. How could you do anything else? You know what I mean? <laughs> that's that's true. And uh, we weren't going to entirely uh, cover the live action film and how it compares to this because it's it, it's so different, not just in what it's doing, but also quality wise. It's not great. It's mm-hmm. really not. 
Yeah. So, I mean, just, I mean, Scott, uh, what did you like about the movie, though, Scott? What did I like about it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I only liked two parts of the movie, <laughs> if I'm being honest. Oh, well, let's hear it. What'd you I like? liked the the uh, alleyway chase. Mm-hmm. Oh, very nice. And the tank battle. Yeah, that was something else. The tank <laughs> the, was fucking intimidating. It was. Now that's that's Metal Gear Solid shit. Oh yeah, yeah. Which I, if I'm not mistaken, a little bit of the tank was actually animated with um, uh, 3D, and mm. then afterwards it was rotoscoped. It's dope as shit. Uh, so that, and I could just see in its movements that it was very. Um, different in terms of how it moved compared to everything else and yet it didn't seem jarring take notes modern anime don't cut the frame rate of your stupid ass 3d cgi you know what speaking about modern anime and just think of how it relates something you see a lot in modern anime and it's been going on a trend for a lot of time is this like i hate to use this word it makes me cringe just think about it waifu occasion of everything yeah yeah, I mean, it's just, I'm not like, I'm not an like SJW, I, I don't look at it like, oh, this is sexist and whatnot, but, I don't know, the way they, they portray a lot of females in modern animation is kind of just, it's almost like disrespectful, it's kind of gross. Yeah, and sometimes, because uh, you get a little bit of that in a lot of shows, sometimes it's not so bad, because the show still, you know, establishes them as their own independent character that has their own arc. And, and flaws and stuff like that. I can that. name and a it's, few. It's... <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's inspiring to see them uh, get over that and and develop as people. But you do have that problem of, well, how am I supposed to enjoy all that nitty-gritty when when they have certain assets? How am I supposed to pay right attention? But here's here's the thing: they, they already did it right in 1995 because Makoto Kusanagi is one of the just coolest characters, female or otherwise. Yes, and they yes, it just does it right. Yeah, they don't go too big into gender in the movie itself, and like mm. directly, you know what I mean? Right. But they just have a good balance to it. I mean, yes, you're technically naked the whole film, technically. <laughs> Yeah, but it's, it's and never... that's actually sort of a thing that they uh, they play up to kind of um, use as a contrast to Bato, uh, because Bato he's he's also a cyborg, but he kind of uh, treats his own cybernetic body a little differently than uh, Matoko. Mm-hmm. And that's very, very differently. Good. It's oh, very I thought good he was just I thought he just had cybernetics. I thought he was human. No, so the thing about these characters is both of them are literally just brain cells and a cybernetic brain in a full cyber body. Oh. Because Bato explains to her, like, hey, because she, you know, she, there's a part where she goes diving in a lake with a uh, small little jet rotor on her back because yeah. their, mm-hmm. their cybernetic bodies are, bodies are too heavy to swim with. And when she comes out of the water, you know, he, he asks her, you know, Bato's there on a pony, and he, he asks her, like, hey, I mean, what happens if your jets fail? Like, what happens to you? You know, and they go in this whole conversation of what it means to be human or what it means to be artificial. Like Ian was saying earlier on, it's this whole idea of there's only like 1% of them that's still human and it's a little bit of brain cells in them. So what's Mm -hmm. the line between when they're just a robot and just a human? 
Bato explains it as, hey, there's still a little bit of brain in you. You're still basically human. Mm-hmm. But Makoto doesn't is unsure about that. And it's kind of revealed more when her and the uh, Puppet Master speak. Which, spoiler alert, we're going to a little bit now. Puppet Master turns out to be this AI program set up by, I believe, the Americans or somewhere in the West to mm-hmm. basically hack into people. But the problem was it gained sentience, which is another big theme of the movie, is sentience. With the sentience, it became self-aware. So it's... This is when we get into the, the deep topics. And the self-awareness, it, it, it changes the Puppet Master into wanting... Almost like more. It wants to, as it says later in the movie, reproduce like a human and stuff like that. And it wants to join with her. Yeah, I mean, it sounds creepy. It sounds creepy without context. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna. One I don't want to fucking gush again. So, (laughs) Ian, go ahead. Say something. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It is a little creepy, but that's also because, um, while the puppet master is slowly but surely gaining sentience, he's not quite bridged that gap quite yet, you mm-hmm. know? So it comes off as very cold and very, uh, detached, which does make the whole process of him and her joining into one a little odd, but that's also because, um, he's still in that transition, because uh, he wants more. He doesn't believe he's there yet. And I think that's one little fragment of him uh, that has not made that uh, development just mm-hmm. yet. Because what I was also going to say is that, you know, developing this sense of, like, uh, sentience, having very different, like, ideas of... Hang on, I'm trying to formulate what I was going into. Oh, if I could uh, go back to uh, the conversation that Matoko and Bato were were having, in that same uh, scene, he's kind of getting a little uh, uh, frustrated with Matoko because he's just finding what she's talking about so absurd. And there's a point where Matoko, she's getting out of her wetsuit, and therefore she is, in fact, naked, to which Bato uh, goes, oh, okay, no, I, I shouldn't be seeing that. There are many points in the film in which she is, in fact, naked, and Bato either uh, obstructs his view of her or puts a jacket on her. And I just think that that is a fascinating um, indicator of, like, their contrast of how they still treat their physical bodies. Because for Bato, he's under the mindset that I am still human regardless because I still have a bit of me in this artificial body. Even if it is just brain cells and stuff, who I am is still at the core of it. Whereas Matoko, she thinks that everything is just fake and even begins to start questioning her own memories and stuff like that. Like how much of it is artificial, how much of it was actually something that I naturally developed. Mm -hmm. Um, Blade Runner style. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And... Uh, what kind of leads a lot of people, uh, as the viewers to question that is Matoko is a very emotionally and personality wise detached, uh, individual whenever she's doing anything. She, she doesn't necessarily get too emotionally involved in what's happening. And so when she starts going into this sort of, uh, conundrum of, well, is everything I know artificial? Uh, you kind of question that too. 
Because, I mean, she's already seeming so cold and robotic. Very similar to the Puppet Master. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, going off that, I, it, he explains why he picked... Well, he doesn't explain, but it, I think the movie does a good job at showing why he picked her. Because the Puppet Master admits, like, hey, yeah, I have my eye on you, eye on you this whole time. And the reason for that is going about, about directly off what Ian was saying, especially in the contrast to Bato and Kusanagi's. Kusanagi is almost necessarily ready, but it's she has become self-aware, similar to the Puppet Master, where she looks down and says, yeah, this may be a quote-unquote female body and whatnot, but all in all, she has gone past the point of being human. She is, in, in a way, in a way, because... With that cybernetic body, there's technically nothing physically human about her. Same with Batau, but she's more ready to accept that. And that's why the Puppet Masters are more willing to quote-unquote merge with her. Because the Puppet Master goal isn't necessarily to become human, as I may have said earlier. It's, it's this idea to reproduce. Not in the sense of, oh hey, having a kid, but creating something new. Creation in itself. And that's why the, the tree of, I think it's called the tree of Solomon or the tree of knowledge comes up. It's the idea of two becoming one. And that is in, is in reproduction, two becoming one, this new thing. So when they merge, they will lose parts of themselves. It's true. But in doing so, they will create this new being and will share the strengths, but less of the weaknesses. And it's a very interesting concept. And I don't know, it's just so ahead of its time. It, it, that's why I picked oh, it. It's, it just, it's just a beautiful concept. It's so ahead of its time, so unique, so different. And it's just dope as shit. It's just like... Because uh, after this movie, you also began seeing a lot more material uh, going into exploring the, the digital age and the exchange of information. And much like how Matoko says at the very end, the net is vast and wide. And basically meaning it, it's just full of opportunity uh, either to grow, to learn, to develop. And I find that uh, pretty, uh, pretty interesting. I, I mean, uh, Sam, I think you can also agree with me when I say that one particular set of stories, mainly in the second one, uh, that kind of explore the uh, idea of the digital age and its effects on humanity and how it either obstructs or helps with uh, developing a little game title called Metal Gear Solid 2 Sons of Liberty. Yeah, that's, uh, that's some weird shit, too. Oh, yes. And uh, I... Mm fumbles yeah, a little it. bit in that particular one it tries to do too much at once but still a good game oh yeah still fun still good for at least one playthrough maybe two mm -hmm. if you want to get the infinite ammo bandana um but anywho uh yeah there's a lot to unpack on a lot of these uh, uh little moments in in ghost in the shell uh Scott, if I can ask one more thing with you. Yes. Uh, was there anything thematically that you thought was interesting in terms of, like, the stuff that isn't so um, explicit? Just when they use as gore when it's needed. Okay. <clears throat> it is a very visceral movie. It is, yeah. And I, I was kind of surprised with how um, a world with mainly cybernetic individuals that still had a decent amount of gore 
Yeah, I mean, I think the the moment of like viscera, especially gore, because I'll explain in a sec. Or like viscera, I guess you could say, is uh, when she rips the at the very end. Again, spoiler alert. And I mean, a little bit late for that, but I'll say it again just in case. Mm-hmm. She goes up against that Metal Gear ta- Metal Gear tank, and she tries mm-hmm. attempts to rip the hatch off the. Uh, the tank itself and in doing so you can see her cybernetic muscles activate and she break it goes past the point of where the the cybernetic body can handle it despite her enhanced strength and you can see her muscles just rip apart like it, first of all they bulge up uh you probably using whatever scientific technology and they just rip apart oh yeah once again kind of showing how just disregarding she is towards her physical body she doesn't care if it gets ripped apart because it's just artificial yeah, and it's just, just I don't know, I, it's, it was probably just the most visual, just visual, for me, visual looked awesome. It just looked real good. And just, yeah. I feel like I got another point, but yeah, it was just badass. <laughs> yeah. I think it may also play into how, despite how technologically advanced everything has gotten, um, there's still this organic element to a lot of stuff you know what i mean yeah there's ascendancy to things like they they have technically ascended the human body in the sense because they're cybernetic but it's still human which is like the idea of reproduction in the sense of oh hey we used to be flesh and bone but we mixed with machines and this is now that cybernetic body is the new thing that's human reproduction in a way it's creation Mm-hmm. but i mean yeah i mean i, I then they came here for a podcast, not a fucking uh, essay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not an uh, existential deep dive. I mean, you kind of have to with this movie because, especially for people who, for one thing, absolutely love sci-fi, but also like the more existential, like man and machine sort of sci-fi stuff that dives into like, uh, especially the sentience of machines. Uh, definitely give this a watch. Oh yeah, I mean, definitely. obviously. Obviously, obviously, super incredibly recommended. See yes. this fucking movie. I'm nervous to see the sequel because I doubt it's going to be as good, but I'll keep everyone updated. Oh! Yeah, the sequel. Yeah, I I hear it's uh, a interesting departure. <laughs> hey, as long as... I haven't seen it myself, but it, it's, uh, it's weird. Nah, I, I mean, the first one was weird, so we'll see what you mean by weird in this next one, huh? Uh, well, I mean, if you thought this was weird, it's, uh... Well, first, I, I, I don't think Scott would like it, because it's even more of a slow burn. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, it's even more methodical. Which, actually, uh, if I can segue into something, it was, um... Ghost in the Shell 2, Innocence, that being the apparently non-canon sequel but still a sequel anyway uh follow-up to uh this film it prompted a uh special edition re-release of ghost in the shell in 2008 which was titled uh ghost in the shell 2.0 and essentially it was uh I don't I I don't want to say remaster because it wasn't like a touch up it was like a a revamp very similar to a little small dude named uh, George Lucas uh digitally altering uh a set of films that uh we'll get to that later um 
yeah, a, a digital alteration of a uh, a previous film. And in this one, they made a lot of efforts to make the film a more digital experience compared to the original. Which, I mean, on one hand, you, you could see going hand-in-hand hand with how sci-fi and techy it is. But I'm not gonna lie, I think that takes away from the original film, if I'm being honest. Because I did watch it. I watched all of it. Um, first and foremost, the big thing is that it wanted to have visual continuity uh, to Ghost in the Shell 2, which apparently was pretty different in terms of like color palette-wise, because in the original film that we watched, the original version, uh, it's a mainly like cyan, teal, and brown kind of... Uh, well, more gray, not brown, but you know what I mean. Um, it's a colder sort of color palette, uh, but in uh, 2.0, they wanted to go back and not only make the footage look like it was digitally animated, which I have my points of contention for that, I'll get into that later, but they also wanted to have more visual effects that uh, make it more advanced than it already was. Like, for example, instead of physical uh, computer monitors, they digitally replaced a lot of those things with, like, heads-up displays like holograms and holographic keyboards and stuff like that, which, I, that's all fine and dandy if you want to have a different kind of atmosphere. But I'm not going to lie, with how I was talking about my love for the texture of the animation of the original, as well as how organic the world still feels, which thematically plays into it all, I think 2.0 removes all that, that whole element. Because now it's a very warmer looking palette. It's more orange and yellow. And uh, there's a lot of CGI used. Not just for like computers and stuff like that. Vehicles are entirely replaced. Thankfully the tank is not. Uh, except for maybe a few shots. Could be wrong. But like helicopters especially. Uh, they're replaced. And they, uh, they, they look like they're out of Sonic Adventure. They're so glossy. And like plastic looking it just doesn't look good i will say that uh one thing that i don't know how you guys felt about it but i like it a lot uh one of the elements that we skimmed over was the absolutely amazing soundtrack to the film mm -hmm. that was ooh, enchanting if i had to put a word to it haunting in areas too it was re-recorded and reorchestrated in 2.0, and it sounds good. Some tracks, I think, sound better in the original um, orchestration, but eh, mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I, I think 2.0 is neat if you want to see an alternate version of an already solid movie, uh, because thankfully, the original release to this day is still available for both streaming and on Blu-ray, and all that jazz. So that's great. Uh, 2.0 is not meant to replace the original release. It's just meant to be a companion piece for people who just want to, you know, see a, a different spin on it. And if you're okay with a more digital look and you think that maybe it helps, that's fine. Uh, it's just uh, with how it makes everything look more digital and removes what I like the most about the animation in the first one, that being the texture, 
really not a big fan. I think uh, if people are going to watch Ghost in the Shell for the first time, uh, watch the original version. Indeed. You know, you just yeah. recommended something. And I, I think it's your turn to recommend something again. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> now, Sir Ian, I must ask, what is his recommendation for next time? I'm waiting with bated breath. My recommendation for the next episode of The Inciting Moment is going to be the 1986 theatrically released Transformers the movie. Because when you watch it in the context of it coming from a children's Saturday morning cartoon series, it is bizarre. And that's but the only way I'll think of it. it's delectably, and I mean delectably, 80s cheese. Well, I guess you could say really just, it's got the touch. <laughs> it's got the power. But of course, I look forward to it, fellas. All right. I'm very much looking forward to it. And hopefully the experience with it will not be lost like tears in the rain. Till then, of this course. has been our inciting moment. Indeed. Thank you all for tuning in, everybody, and take care. Au revoir. Bye. 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 Bye.